Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Today, we're going to talk about the default effect. That's right. The role of defaults are important in our lives. We talked before about decision fatigue, that we can get mentally worn down by too many choices. And so one of the things we tend to do is go with the status quo. It's also known as status quo bias. Whatever the state of affairs is that we're presented with, one option that's the laziest, perhaps, is to just not do anything different. I like that option. And this applies in important areas of our lives. So a good example, Um, from economics. Someone did an analysis of organ donation across different countries. And you could group the countries based on their regions, but that didn't make any sense. And similar cultures didn't matter. Uh, What ended up mattering, whether there was high or low organ donation adoption, was how it was presented. If it's presented as an opt-in versus an opt-out, it really matters. Most people will not bother to actively opt-out of organ donation. So you can actually, something as important is that can be encouraged simply by getting the lazier option to be the one that you think is more desirable. Yeah, as a uh, finance guy, I've always thought that really organs should be freely alienable. You should be able to sell them, put liens upon them, and then we could securitize them and sell them in pools. This is a perhaps nefarious plan, and uh, we might not want to go down that road. But in other important parts of our lives, such as 401ks, this does happen as well. So you sort of uh, get whatever investment options have been given to you initially. And people are loath to change from that. And in part, they just become comfortable with it. And laziness could be part of this. But I think there's something more basic that if it's not hurting us, why mess with it? And there's something conservative maybe about us as biological agents. Something else I'm reminded of is the mere exposure effect. And that's an old effect where you'd basically present people with tones or uh, visual images. And even if it was very brief and it had no particular outcome in their lives, they would prefer those tones or visual images later on when they saw them, which makes really not a whole lot of sense in the moment, except for the fact that those were determined to be non-threatening. And so therefore, we like the status quo. This is a pretty nefarious effect that can often be used by people to take advantage of us. That's right. And so this brings us to the concept of tipping. So it used to be that the societal norm for tipping would, would be about 15 to 20 percent. But I've noticed as we've moved toward credit card transactions, especially the type where you use the touchpad yourself, they can create buttons for automated tipping. And those buttons, you'll notice, are sort of stacking up toward more of a 25%. So they're sort of nudging you subtly to default into up-tipping from what you would have done originally when you would have had to calculate it and do a little bit more mental work on it. Yeah, I always make it a, uh, a policy that if they have that, then I always choose that other option where I put in my own tip that I want to put into But there's something weird that goes on there too. So when I've put in my own 15% amount, I almost feel like I'm somehow going to be scrutinized by the storekeepers, like I'm somehow being cheaper and uh, they're going to notice that I've gone to the trouble of giving them less, which is completely silly because it's all arbitrary. Sometimes they deserve to get less. 
But sometimes they deserve to get more. So no we, doubt. You and I recently had a surprise, serendipitous meal. We, we went to a hotel concierge and asked for a local restaurant recommendation. And we got the most spectacular service. It was done with style and with flourish. And there were at least five wait staff members involved. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. And we definitely tipped uh, better than 20% that I, night. I completely lost track. And they even served, there was a little bit of gold on one of the dessert dishes. And so in some I sense- I think they we, only we, gave you the gold. Well, damage. we could factor that into our tip, right? In some sense, we were given money back. It was so fantastic. That's and true. so definitely there are cases where you do want to tip higher, but I've taken kind of some minor offense to this idea that the default should become a much higher tip. And uh, you start to sort of see this as, you know, the environment is kind of toying with us in certain ways based on taking advantage of our status quo bias. We had another podcast recently about decision fatigue. And I think there's actually a tie in here to some degree to that notion where this is a situation where either people are taking advantage of our decision fatigue or they are, we're simply put in a situation where the desire to avoid having to make the incremental decision is leading us down this default path. And we're also guided by other people. When we think about these monetary problems, it's all really arbitrary. And the whole concept of money, it only has value because other people buy into it having value. And so we're sort of in the realm of social guidance in many cases, which in some ways goes beyond the money, right? So when you think about tipping in a coffee shop, for example, I always have this odd feeling of like, should it be 20%? I almost feel like it should be more because we're talking about a small value and 15% of say a, a $3 coffee just doesn't seem like enough money. So Ah, but Dan, 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 there's volume here. There's volume. You're selling a whole lot of those coffees. Right. And I can't really get my mind around that. And the barista often seems so socially engaged and interested in uh, my how my day's going that I sort of want to give them more. Yeah. Well, so typically though, if you think about a table, maybe you're turning a table every 30 minutes or so. But if you got people lining up at Starbucks and they're going through the line, uh, you know, you probably get over the course of 30 minutes, what, 10 people, 15 people, scooping 15% on each one of their transactions, even though they're small, probably end up with a decent. But it's also important that the person see you tipping, which is an odd part of this. So I, I would tend to tip more. If it's like they, you, you want to see that they know you appreciated them. In some ways, the fingerprints should be on your, your money that you put There was a great Seinfeld jar. episode where George Costanza, I think he went to a pizza restaurant. There was a tip jar that was out in front of, uh, by the cash register, and he put his money in the tip jar and the guy that was working there turned around and didn't see him so of course George being George sticks his hand back in the jar to pull his money out to put it back in and of course that's when the pizza guy turns around and sees George digging around in his tip jar there's a fine line between a uh, social gaffe and a uh, good tip this brings us around to the idea of nudges though and nudges are a term from behavioral economics which is a discipline that's concerned with how economic works in, in real life. And what a nudge is, is some kind of environmental encouragement toward some particular behavior. This is Richard Thaler's work and Cass Sunstein's work, and they have a book called Nudge. One of the best examples, I think, related to food was at food counters, where you're sort of selecting amongst different options, they recommend putting the healthier food at eye level and maybe put the, the cakes and pastries and things at a lower level where it takes more physical effort to go get the less healthy food. And in that way, you're not shoving people, right? You're 
you're just nudging them. You're just encouraging them to maybe make a better choice. And that goes back to our, our tipping discussion that you can nudge people toward a higher tip. But this can be very helpful in our lives. And we, I think on a practical note, we can put our own nudges into our lives that uh, make our defaults better options. And we really do have to have these defaults. It just exists. I mean, there's so much complexity in what we do from day to day that not having default, having to sit there and make a decision for absolutely everything that you're doing, that would be just exhausting. That's right. And so sometimes it's helpful with tipping or other areas to just decide on, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it every time. And I'm just not going to devote effort to that because all those little decisions add up to fatiguing our system to the point where we really become checked out on the whole process, which is not a good place to be mentally. Well, and it's, it's also pretty broad. I mean, if you think about, you mentioned currency before. That's another situation where we're just taking it for granted. We're just assuming that those dollars that we have in our wallet are actually worth something. And other people have that same assumption. We all kind of agree on it. And it's done without question. If you really sat down and thought about it, it's just little pieces of paper that have kind of an arbitrary value assigned to it. Spending time thinking about that, hemming and hawing about uh, whether that's the case. It's better just accept it as it is and move on with your debt. But I think the defaults can extend to social situations as well, which do have real value. We've talked about this before, that we're highly social beings and social rewards matter to us quite a lot. And so by default, you might just slash a smile and ask how someone is, kind of build that in as a habit. And I'm reminded to take it back to some science. I once worked with someone who studied a condition called prosopagnosia, which is a face blindness. So someone who has prosopagnosia couldn't recognize you or I. And so the way this person coped with this unusual deficit in in vision was to greet everyone extremely warmly as if they knew them. And if they by (laughs) chance knew them, that was normal. And if they didn't, they just seemed like an extremely friendly person. So by building that in as default, you can somewhat encourage your life to go a little better. I think I suffer from that condition. I just use the word dude. Hey, dude. That's another good coping mechanism. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that this notion does show up in finance as well, particularly when you're thinking about portfolio management. One of the issues that we'll have at running SaberPoint, we'll have a bunch of positions that maybe have been in the portfolio for some time. Maybe they've worked. And we have to ask ourselves, if we didn't have those positions today, would we put them on? Would we actually buy them in the case of longs or sell them in the case of shorts? And a lot of times the answer is no. But the reason why we don't take those positions off while they're inside the portfolio is because you do have this natural tendency to leave things as they are to follow the default. That's right. And there may be some value in in doing that with regard to regret. You sort of anticipate how you're going to feel in the future. And one of the worst things would be if you had it in the portfolio, you know, took it off actively, and then it turned out that something went really wrong and, you know, that rose or dropped precipitously and you could have made a lot more money. That factors into your decision too, doesn't it? It's this possible regret out in the future. So defaults aren't always about laziness, but they're about anticipating regret. So to actively do something feels very different than passively letting something happen. One way that we found to overcome this, and a lot of times when you think about things such as default or the status quo, you have to kind of push yourself out of that through some sort of consciousness. So one thing we'll do is we'll go and reconstruct the entire portfolio if you were as if you were to put it on today. And if that is substantially different than the current portfolio as it is, now you've still got to think about things like liquidity concerns, then we may choose to use that as a basis upon making a decision. 
that seems like a sound way to use your reasoning to construct an environment in which you're going to be more thoughtful about this. And that, that again, can another remedy is to build habits. So if you do that repeatedly, it becomes your status quo that you're going to do that kind of exercise. And so then again, you're kind of nudging yourself in a way to not take the lazy way out and check your assumptions, right? I think that's right. Well, before we just continue this on into perpetuity because we're already doing it, and that's kind of the default. That would be the lazy way out. We probably want to tie this one up. To wrap things up, we have discussed defaults and the role of status quo in our lives. One of the cautionary things is just be aware of what your defaults are and uh, be willing to act when it's important. If it's a mundane thing, it may not be all that relevant to bother with any active thinking. Be careful when the decision really matters. I don't know, George, do you have any takeaways? Yeah, I think you just need to be aware of where you're making those automatic decisions and be conscious that that's the, that's the correct place. Place to be because you just don't want to be making those automatic decisions where it is something where you need to be more deliberative see you guys later <laughs> hasta la vista baby thank you for spending your time listening to the mental models podcast content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar please subscribe Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.